0: Welcome to the Word, the Conservatives podcast. Today we're talking about funding. I'm Jenna Mathiason, an objects conservator based in South Yorkshire.
1: And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservator based in Greater Manchester.
0: And today we have a special dun, guest dun, host. Dun, dun, dun. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: My name is Sarah Buck, and I'm a third sector fundraiser based in South
0: Yorkshire. Yeah, Woo. Welcome, Sarah. And Sarah, don't you have a teeny tiny bit of conservation experience as well?
2: I do. I was a studio assistant to a glass conservator called Graham. He had 12 rabbits,
0: and it was good fun. That is a fantastic fact, by the way. So Graham with 12 rabbits, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, we've got Sarah with us. What are your rabbits called? I don't, I don't think I know anyone who has 12 of anything. I one someone who has <laughs> Wait, that sounded really weird. Aside <laughs> from museums, they have travel loads of things. <laughs> Shall we do news first? Does anyone have any news? One piece of funding-related news is that the HLF has published its initial consultation results. So the HLF has produced a kind of draft strategic funding framework that people have been able to consult on. So people and organisations were uh, given the chance to uh, feedback to them what they thought about them, and Icon has responded on behalf of conservators in the UK and basically you can go and read all of that now if you want to like both what their thoughts are like icons thoughts and what the hlf has kind of made out of what everyone told them so um uh we'll pop a link to that in the show notes that's the news so today i thought we would talk a little bit about funding in all its glorious ways it's a pretty broad topic and it's a bit like museum general I thought we could start by maybe exploring our backgrounds and experiences with things like funding and stuff like that. So I've definitely applied for grant funding when it uh, it comes to things like CPD and travel costs and stuff. And I have definitely applied for that sort of thing. And obviously we have both worked on projects mm-hmm. and sometimes that means that our salaries are tied to specific pots of money
2: and that's yes. quite normal for the charity sector and that's how they would tend to kind of like split things up oh, but it's not so common within the heritage sector and which Getting is why this, it is because they're realizing that they're having to shift over in order to kind of cover some of their core costs through
0: projects mm-hmm. but charities do that all the time uh, Yeah, so i think this is very new for us because people have had Oh, no, I'm probably being harsh to say that people have had cosy jobs where, you know, they haven't had to worry so much. And now it's, like, become post-apocalyptic and everyone has to worry <laughs> about everything. Uh, that's probably a little bit harsh.
1: Well, I suppose the grass is always greener, but if museums are ha- being forced to operate slightly more like charities, mm. then there's that's a definite shift,
0: isn't it? Oh, very, very. A huge, like, cultural
2: shift. Yeah. Yeah. Um.
0: I mean, so that ties into things that we've talked about before, like job security, which is a really hard thing when you're mm-hmm. project-based, mm-hmm. and you know that your contract is going to end, and it might be extended only if someone finds some other money backed the down of a so- like back down the sofa, yeah. and it's, yeah, it it can be a bit intense to work project-based, but some people generally prefer it. Like, I, I met someone recently who just loves the, the chicken up and leave, which is... You know, a kind really? of it does yeah. have its perks. Yeah, where it's like, <laughs> no, I do this, I finish this, and, and then I, and then I can move on, and I I don't have to deal with the office politics because I've done my bit, and now I can go and do that somewhere else. That must be about lifestyle, though, because if yeah. you've got
1: like five kids,
2: and... <laughs> <laughs> a mortgage, and yeah, I'm, I'm not saying sorry.
1: yeah, it's not exactly like it's for
0: everyone. Yeah, no, definitely, or but,
1: even um, just a cat and a cactus. Yeah, yeah you know, no. you have still got to move stuff around. Yeah, no, that's but cool. then. I'm sedentary at heart. So yeah. maybe people who aren't, <laughs> maybe people who do like to move around, all right. The nomadic conservative. Yeah. Less us well. Yeah.
0: nomadic conservative <laughs> 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 But yeah, so we've both been project-based, things like that. Uh-huh. Um, have you ever applied for a grant? Oh. Or like funding for I have something?
1: applied for Anna Plowden. Yeah. I've applied to cloth workers once, but not really, to be honest. I've, I've There's been occasions where I could really have needed the money But I've always just thought, I can't afford it, I can't do it, I can't afford it. And not necessarily thought to myself, there are ways that I can gain the funding for this. Because I think I automatically think, why would they give the money to me? There are loads of people who are doing more important things and loads of people who could really do with the money more.
0: Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) I'm quite selfish like that. I just go, (laughs) I need to do this thing, please help. Well, you're so
1: good with your CPD. (laughs) And I think (laughs) I'm sort of... Now I'm getting now I've got a stable job, more or less, touch wood, I'm starting to think more about I this is these are the ways that I can improve my mm. professional development and
0: this is sort of my duty, sort of my duty to my workplace to improve. I think I'm a CPD on a budget person. If I can get anything for free I will. And then if I can combine it with something else, like I've generally been on a training course that was free. There was in North Wales because I strong armed my other half's family to go on a family <laughs> trip like what? a road That's trip up amazing. to north wales like yeah we'll come visit you by the way we have to be in north wales on this day <laughs> <laughs> for no reason other than a pleasant holiday for everyone. and they were amazing <laughs> and did it which was very nice of them but yeah so sometimes i'm just very sneaky about what i try to do but i have to be because i have i have no money and my employers have no money so like how how would this work how else would it happen
1: yeah, yeah. But even when, before you were, when you were more of the emerging conservator, unemployed yeah. status, you would always get the funding to go places. You would find out what was free and available. I would try. To. Yeah. You'd be really, really good. Whereas I was more kind of self-indulgently mopey of, I can't afford it. I'll improve <laughs> myself when I've got a were job. Were
0: you an emo <laughs> ACP? <laughs> no. Uh, no shut up
1: (laughs) you don't know me yeah yeah, generally I think I'm aware of the places that funding can be got but I'm sort of I don't really I still don't really think in terms of things that I am almost entitled to apply for. I think
0: I think I'll leave it for somebody else it's kind, of kind of thing. of interesting. There's almost like a guilt aspect or like Yeah, a, that's it. Or or a stumbling block. Of, oh, it's not a paper to fill out or No, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but I like only to is, think it, I like to think it's more about
1: my own feelings of of what I'm entitled to and people people other people deserve more than, but it's probably just probably just laziness of oh i'm write a thing <laughs> and that'll take time and oh
0: yeah well, but no but i i think it's interesting to examine why people might not go for funding yeah so it might be that oh i don't have time uh i don't deserve it which by the way you do these pots are out there for you to uh-huh. use and ultimately if they decide that you're worth it, then you put in a good <clears throat> application and you are worth it so don't f- try not to feel that way Uh, but yeah it can be a huge stumbling block and I I assume that the same would be true in the kind of heritage sector at large where it might be difficult for an institution to go for funding because it's a lot of work or maybe they don't understand the process or maybe it seems a bit scary. I think
2: it's a combination of lots of different things. I think where in the charity sector we don't have the same kind of benefits of going for statutory funding Mm. whereas heritage museums are able to go for that and that is able to cover their core costs in a way that charities just aren't able to do. Mm. Um, So some of them just seem to be really good at getting HLF funding, getting ACE funding in, um, which kind of provides them with kind of huge chunks of money that cover some of their core costs but then allows them to trial and test and do lots of really interesting thing and help progress them as an organisation but I think when it comes to thinking about trusts grants and foundations in a really different way so say if, for example if you had charitable status that means that you could it really opens up the doors to kind of the funding that is available and it's actually about thinking fun thinking about funding in a very very different way and it's looking at I would say perhaps in themes and looking at impact so for example if you were wanting to I don't know do some amazing exhibitions that were to do with little people for example but with your museum hat on you might think oh yeah hate to laugh or ace that might be great but actually what you can start looking at is trust and foundations that look at supporting projects for young people or children or that focus on education that focus on kind of access to different resources and it means that you can kind of open up your open up the doors to kind of other kinds of funding that charities already access very heavily oh, um, yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's something I find really interesting because though I don't really think about getting funding for myself where I work at the moment I'm more I'm getting more and more interested in the idea of um, applying for funding as an institution and, mm. and what would be required um, to get things done basically and what I'm interested in is so you have a job to do, you need money for it. So for example, we want our stores to be acceptable and we need money to do that. In order to apply for the funding, we need to say we're doing lots of other things. So let's have a storage project that also, you know, is good for outreach and education and stuff. So that's not a healthy way to think about it because it's obviously like i just want the stores to be okay please oh god now i've got to
2: <laughs> and so for a tr- like for a trust grant foundation funded that would just scream like desperation yeah, um, yeah. so it's actually well, kind of like turning it on its head and saying that this is the benefit to the community to those people to the heritage of this to, you know well that's exactly
1: it so, most people are most institutions are desperate for mm-hmm. money because there isn't any so You've got to be quite creative, haven't you? I've been really creative. Okay, so what what can I what how do I make this storage improvement plan benefit the community or benefit certain parts of the community Mm. particularly? which I I find interesting. It is really interesting, but it's a new kind of concept
2: for me. Yeah, and it's just there's huge creativity there as well. So it means that you can kind of create really interesting projects that no one has ever kind of done before. And you can go to a kind of a trust funder and be like, oh, by the way, I've just come up with this. And they're like, oh, wow, we've never worked with someone like this before. And then they're kind of like kind of hooked in. But then you can't just repeat that Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. what what, trusts, grant and foundations wanting are just new and fresh and creative ideas all the time more like less and less people are doing repeat funding
1: god the pressure
2: because as we're pulling out of europe and Mm. also kind of those anglo-american relationships that is kind of has impact on the funding that's available so what kind of particular charities are doing they're kind of like grabbing as much trust grant and foundation money as possible and actually there's just even more people going for that because there's less available outside the country
0: Mm.
2: so it's not particularly an area of growth (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, so what you're saying is that they only a finite amount of money and we're just grabbing for everyone yes,
2: pretty much and it's going to get even worse and worse so you've got kind of museums you've got the heritage sector now kind of shifting the way that they're thinking and like and ways of doing things and also tapping into that resource so it's, it means that there's just kind of less funding available um and so what, what kind of finding is that Kind of trust grants and foundations are becoming more and more closed Ooh. and more selective um, and wanting those new creative fresh ideas in a way that they were kind of a bit more relaxed in the past.
0: I was wondering about that because I was reading through some documents that were quite they were a bit out of date now, maybe five years old, and it was like a list of here are some of the things that the Hlf have funded in the past. And I want to say that it was broken down by category, like here's some archaeology things, here's some church things and that sort of thing. And I thought, I don't think we'd see these sorts of projects funded today because they're not innovative enough or they're they're pretty like, oh, we just need to do this to keep going. And whilst that's great, and obviously, these people are super happy that they got that funding. That sort of thing is not necessarily helpful to look at today because that's not an example of what would pass today.
2: No, definitely. So they're asking for you to be even more innovative, even more creative, to really demonstrate impact. Um, so charity sector is really great at demonstrating impact. You know how many lives did it touch, and why, and how you know, etc., etc.
0: Oh, we rubbish at that. And it's
2: really, really difficult to do that in the heritage sector because it's kind of like, oh well, how did. You know, if I conserve this item, how did it impact someone's life? It's it's very difficult. And again, there's a shift in there but about
0: impact. Do you think that's less about it being difficult, maybe more about the fact that we've never bothered thinking about it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's big shift <laughs> so I'm thinking, if charities can do it, and I mean, sometimes what charities do can be really abstract, mm. um, then surely we just need to somehow find a way of thinking about it. And gathering data that maybe we haven't really looked at before
2: yeah and it's kind of like looking kind of you know how does it impact community well that's a big question in itself and i think it takes an organization to really for reflect and mm. just say well, actually this is you know who we are as an organization this is our mission this is our aim this is our strategy going forward and this is you know the impact that we want to you know to have yeah um either on people's lives on you know landscape or environment or etc cetera, etc cetera. and to actually kind of demonstrate that kind of impact um, and do it quite methodically
0: and strategically. Yeah, but um, e- even going into a meeting and someone saying, well, well, how many lives do you change? I mean... I don't think anyone can say <laughs> It's like, how would you even go about doing that? Jesus, I mean, we can tell you what visitor numbers we get, but... Cause in the charity sector if like
2: people who give you money they want to know that kind of stuff they want to yeah. know exactly where their money is going and mm. what it's being used for so a lot of charities have a breakdown of yeah and say if you gave a pound that x y and z would go to admin fundraising campaigning yeah. and the rest is going on you know and split right. like, which countries it's going to or you know which themes it's going to And they want to be able to see that and that be able to be demonstrated yeah, a so we of like educating people as well because a lot of people are kind of like oh I, I, I want my money to get directly impact people yeah well you can't impact people if you don't have teams behind the work that are delivering that you know the work yeah. to impact people not admin and actually it's taking a lot of educating you yeah.
3: know Nothing and happens.
2: there's a the whole yeah. argument well actually we can kind of run this charity for free and you're just kind of like well actually no because in order to help those people out there that bit more you really ought to pay your staff yeah uh, it really and, me d- people and that's kind of that. the
0: same in museums where yeah. it's a case of well, some of this has to go to actually paying our staff or like. Yeah, and any it's staff. about kind of communicating that. <laughs> mm. Right, so I we've already started talking about museum sector funding. I just thought it was interesting that public funding, like funding from the government and local government, has gone down by over 50% in the last few years. Say so what? So that's. That surprised me. That's a lot of.
1: That's a I'm genuinely increase. surprised by that. I'm not. Am I being really, really naive? Oh, bless uh, you. <laughs>
2: it's been going on for the last 10 years
0: oh great but then i guess it depends on what kind of environment that you work in Mm, as well mm -hmm. because depending on what sort of conservative you are you may or may not actually see these things happen because like if you work on a local authority level or your clients are local authorities you're gonna see that a lot if you work in a private institution or someone that's like super rich and well established then you're going to see it a lot less because it Mm. doesn't impact your daily life as much it doesn't impact your working life so it will depend on what level you're at as a you know where you work as a museum professional that sort of thing whether you see these cuts Mm -hmm. or not but they are happening and they are massive so
1: i graduated in my first degree in 2010 Mm. my second one in 2011 and my third one in 2013 You collect degrees, but (laughs) Sorry, sorry. That sounds really annoying. But essentially what I'm saying is in heritage and museums, I've only known this. As far as I'm aware in my my own personal understanding of it as someone who has only just stopped considering myself as an emerging professional. This is... What it's like? <laughs> it's it's not like well, yeah. there yes, was this glory day before. I'm sure there was. It was much much easier. There, and you, we hear all of, of those stories about people who lost. You know, 2009, everyone lost their jobs. We hear this, but I don't think in my kind of subconscious, I
0: don't. I just can't comprehend that it's ever been different. Well, mm. yeah, I suppose there is that, which is like it's like the millennial thing. Hasn't
1: <laughs> yeah. <so they're> like, <laughs> it always <laughs> been shit? <laughs> <laughs> Where's so my funny. avocado? <laughs>
0: Everything's on fire anyway. No, no, that's true. For us, th- this has always been the train wreck <laughs> that is life. But it is interesting, for example, to, like, go into a workplace where you're like, oh, well, that's a very small team. And they're like, yeah, but we used to be, like, a curator for every type of collection.
1: Yeah. And yeah. it's like,
0: oh, yeah, that's a lot of knowledge lost when you think about it. Like, yeah. yeah, so we had a natural history curator and a fine art one and then we had an archaeology one. it's like, well, what do you have now? <laughs> well, someone who does everything.
1: Do they know and they're anything? not even
0: called curator, they're called yeah. like Project Something Something. And yeah, they do like... all
1: of the other things as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it it is a different landscape and sometimes you can appreciate that when you look at things historically where it's like, mm-hmm. Oh well, how come we don't know anything about our natural history collection? Well, it's because we don't have anyone with any naturalistic background anymore.
2: (laughs) That might be a problem. (laughs) But then, like, 30, 40 years ago, my job wouldn't have existed. And some people don't see it as a profession.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. That's true.
2: Yeah. So I remember I was signing a lease for my flat when I used to live down south. And uh, he was like, oh, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a charity fundraiser. Oh, so you work for, so you're a volunteer? no, no, I no, I'm paid to be a charity fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And he was just didn't know what to say because he didn't think that it was an actual job.
1: Yeah. I remember mm. applying to, when I was first looking at jobs in the museum sector, It is it development officer is the, is the one that is also called... Is a,
2: it has ooh, elements, it has yeah, elements yeah. of fundraising to
1: yeah, it, Yeah, but it's not quite a fundraising role. So it's not quite, okay. So I, I think... It can be. Those ones... But- I think I can get my head around the the term fundraiser mm. because that's raise funds, but yeah. the development officer is such a kind of a roundabout way of saying this is part of how we get the funding for the mm. museum that I had to learn how what that job was and go mm. okay so that's that's obviously not a job I can go go for myself but they exist those those I didn't even conceive that
0: that would be a yeah yeah that and, would be a necessary and, and job And of course it is yeah. 'Cause I, I was looking up like job roles in museums recently because to inspire me for a piece of artwork. And I noticed that development officer wasn't really on there, even though now it's that really? fundamental yeah, thing it's in museums. A massive thing. But it's so new comparatively that it's just yeah, it's it just it's not on the radar. No, it's not at all. So it hasn't made it made it onto these like career websites and stuff like that. It just hasn't made it on. Are we still cagey about how
1: we get money? Do you think? Are we still? Do we still have oh, extremely. that? Extremely that sort of British embarrassment of.
2: Over- we're doing fine. Oh, we're totally. doing fine. But oh, you're yeah. in
1: minus monies. We're doing fine. We're doing fine. Is no, that, definitely. Is that a thing? Because we're terrible
2: pretend. at asking Possibly. for money or talking about money. And it's very much part of our culture. Yeah. But actually, we're a great fundi- fundraising nation. Um, so you look at other countries in Europe who are great campaigners, but they wouldn't fundraise necessarily in the same mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, their charities don't operate in the same way. I think like museums, heritage organisations, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, statutory funding. Okay, great. Hate to laugh. Ace, okay. Um and actually they're not really looking at what other ways of and ways of fundraising that there are out there and what they can kind of tap
0: into. I kind of feel like it might be it like almost like uh those are like the sanitized ways where it's like this is what we know and they have um. heritage or art in the name. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that means it's okay. And that means that it's really scary going anywhere else because you don't necessarily know what you're doing, even though most people wouldn't know where to start an HLF. Grant either mm. because those bids are an enormous amount of work,
2: a huge amount of work, and they're really complicated, and have like really bonkers processes. Yeah, um, fortunately,
0: they do have people who can help you talk. Yeah, you, they're talk fantastic. Through it, yeah, which is which is really really good. Most, most uh, I would say grant bodies doesn't have like that kind of outreach where they necessarily not necessarily
2: in the same way. And I think about again, it's about looking at it in a really different way. Mm. So, what charities perhaps would do if they're wanting to approach grant trust or a foundation, they would actually look at trying to make friends with someone on the board decision maker or even their admin person and just be like and starting that conversation and really getting to know the decision makers on a personal level as well as them as an organization and i you think feel
0: people just feel a bit dirty doing that you know like <laughs> no i'm just messing with something <laughs>
2: no because at the end of the day if you can kind of it's all about fundraising is all about building relationships oh, and it's all about that. kind of those in a sense friendships mm. and they kind of t- can take an organization a really long way you know um and it also means that when you're kind of writing your application you're like actually because i know this person on the board and I know that they're interested in this but I know there are other people who are interested in this and this means that I can kind of really tailor it in a way that perhaps somebody can't. Mm, because yeah. you've gone out of your way and taken the time, money, and resource in order to take that extra step.
0: I think this ties into another thing, and that is, if you do want to do a grand application with someone, or you know, any big or small, you need to actually put the effort in. And by which I mean, do your research, try to figure out what mm. they actually want. What do they consider to be a successful thing? And um,
2: like talk to them beforehand. Like yeah. I. Like I would never ever consider applying for a grant trust or foundation without having r- rung them up first yeah. and having a conversation with them and, you know, really finding out about, okay, so this is what we were thinking but actually, what is it from your perspective? And often they'll get back to you. If they are really keen and interested and they've got that hook, they'll be like, actually, frame it in this way because of X, Y, and Z or because someone on our board is interested or, you know, there are kind of ways and it, it all starts with that dialogue and you end up building that relationship. They will look at your
0: application more favourably. Um, and I suppose also, I mean, obviously that's not something that conservators would do when we're applying for grants and stuff like that. I don't feel like we would ring up and be like, No, that's not something thing. I'd ever consider doing. However, should just, it be? Mm, that's, oh, I don't know. Um, maybe. Maybe we should just be more bossy and do that sort of thing. I like was, applying for a yeah. job. It, I
1: think when there's always yeah. a, any other questions, please contact this person. I have literally never done that. Ever, I've never called up a job to ask what they want or whether they want to chat about something or other That's with me. I've never done that, and I probably would consider in the same way. Just, I just want to hide from this person until I send my application in.
2: Yeah, but would but you actually, advise I would, I would say call, ring, just ring them up, and when they look at your application, they'll be like, "Oh, yeah, I actually had a conversation with that person. They were really interesting, or they said this, or they had a really weird accent, or like <laughs> it, it just sticks in their mind." And it also, if you're wanting to go out for repeat funding you need to start building that relationship otherwise they're just going to see application after application after application and it looks boring there's no relationship there so why should they like why should they give you more funding Hmm. so
1: what's the what's the balance between talking about repeat funding Mm. so earlier we said for repeat funding you need you need to be constantly creative and coming up with like new ideas Mm. new projects is it valuable to constantly have loads of different ideas or do you have to have some kind of consistency
2: it has to be really consistent with your strategy your mission right. your aim you can't just be like yeah we have all these crazy ideas it's kind of like well actually who are we that was my impression <laughs> yeah no, no 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 like it has to like stick within who you are as an organization um
0: otherwise the trust no, funder's we're gonna be local like i wanted to put on disneyland is that all right <laughs>
2: and next no. week uh, I don't know
0: something because I will just
2: look at you and be like uh, so how are you sustainable right like who are you like what are you actually doing so no you need to be kind of
0: fairly consistent and
2: kind of within your strategy and your okay. mission and your aims okay. you can be like as creative within that as possible
0: I suppose yeah. that's where having a conversation comes into because yeah. obviously they can also tell you no you'd be wasting your time if you tried to take this idea to us yeah uh, exactly it's also valuable feedback because ultimately if people say it's not worth you spending 20 hours on an application of,
2: when you're for, just gonna say no yeah and for actually this with i've us. had that before and they, they were like no, no no it's just totally not worth it however our board is on this other board and they would be really interested so maybe like speak to them and so mm-hmm. i rang them up and they were like yeah just tweak it a little bit and then it was I had a successful grant nice it wasn't for a lot of money but it was really helpful
0: yeah but that's the thing; we don't always go for huge things. And I think, I think when people hear like fundraising and things, they think if we have to have millions. It has to be an HLF bid for seven point two million. And actually, <laughs> there's like such a
2: small percentage of like people that get that. Yeah,
0: no, there's exactly. Like way
2: more money out there.
0: Don't underestimate the power of small funding pots as well. Because are you seriously telling me that five grand or even five hundred quid wouldn't help you? No, like that that would help mm. with whatever you're trying to do. So I think it might be ambition is great, but also don't forget that you could get little pots of money,
2: and there's little pots
0: of money will add up. Trust me. Yeah, so that's pretty good. Take that from a charity fundraiser. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think I have the perception, that very same perception, as if you if you're gonna do, I'll use the storage example. If you're gonna redo your storage, you gotta redo your storage. Rather than, and I have that, but I have that very much stuck in my head. But from the sounds of this, it, I mean it would also be vastly valuable to the collection to say I'm going to apply for two grand and I'll get some new racking and so, that's not redoing the storage but it's giving more space and that will have an impact so would you say that working on it in small scale so I'll get racking from this person and tissue paper from this person and, yes, and that can work
2: and actually what i hate to life, i think are wanting and also other big kind of funders they're actually wanting you to demonstrate actually what can you do with say 25k what can you do with 50k what can you do with 75k what can you then do with a million so actually wanting to in a sense build that relationship with you for you to be able to demonstrate to them that yeah you can work with small bits of money and you can develop you know and then you can like oh okay and then they might say to you oh Do you want to apply for this pot of money? And it's much, much bigger. And it's about, again, building that relationship, but it's also demonstrating how effectively you can use that money. Mm -hmm. But often charities, they'll go for, like, I went for a charity where we were fundraising for a building to kind of develop a building. And we got pots of money from all over the place, not just from trust grants and foundations, individuals, corporates, like the whole shebang, you know, and it was just like pieces, you know, and we were successful in what we were doing.
0: So, um, I thought we might talk very briefly about some funding for specific conservation in the UK. Obviously, we mentioned the HLF and we talked about ACE funding. Churchcare has a really good page full of different. their different grants for different bits. And then there's the Heritage Funding uh, Directory, which is. uh oh, it's so useful. Yes, very useful, but the search functionality is oh my gosh, it's terrible. <laughs> uh, so, it's a great resource, but. <laughs> Prepare to spend some time on that website because it's the search engine is not great.
2: No, and also it, it might sting you on where they fund, so be careful with like regards to regions, because some of them are like, yeah, we are only funding like projects in Essex. Yeah.
0: Um, so uh, that's a useful resource. It has three hundred odd charities on there that you can okay. look for funding from. But they do fund all sorts of heritage things. Mm-hmm. Some of them will fund only educational activities, and some of them will be only. What they call heritage skills, which is bundled in with conservation. Sometimes they misun- may misunderstand what conservation means. They might actually mean biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, uh, so, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. So be really, really careful when you look through when you look through them and read carefully. But it is a great list of of places you might be able to go. And then I just want listeners to tell me what other pots of money or, like, where they can go because I'd love to build a resource list for this because there's not a consistent one. Like, there's not a good, good place to go for these things. So, like, tweet us and tell us... Because I would love to put something together, which is a bit more coherent than some of the ones that we've seen. There
2: are loads of like trust grant and foundation funding directories, but you often have to pay like several hundred pounds to access them. So there's a a series of books that's published every year. Again, expensive. There's an online resource that you can kind of pay into. Again, expensive. Mm. Um, So it's the kind of thing that's accessible to kind of big charities or kind of small organisations who will pull together resources in order to access it.
0: I was going to say, this might be something to pitch to, like, a regional network if you have one, that maybe mm. the, there can be, like, a, a joint access point for these sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, a lot because... of smaller
2: charities do that because they just can't afford to, to yeah, buy them or buy into them. I
0: notice there's a lot of subscription bases in these sorts of and things. And it's not but... cheap. Please do let us know if you know of any good funding bodies for conservation-based work. That would be great. Uh, now on to funding for conservators in particular which case we have a list (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there are a number of grants and um, funding bodies out there for conservators wanting to do things obviously they all have their own restrictions they're not necessarily open to everyone because you know people need to be selective and it's about what the aim of that organization is what the aim of that grant is so uh, one of the recurring ones is the icon True review grant which is Joint with ICON and obviously TrueView. And that's for mid-career conservators trying to do CPD, that sort of thing. And they give out between 300 pounds and a grand. And then we have loads of ICON group grants, which is really nice. Scotland has two, they have an accreditation grant and that's uh, 350 pounds, which is quite good towards your accreditation fees actually. We've also got the June Baker Trust in Scotland. Books and Paper, uh, they have professional development bursaries of about £200. And the Frederick Beaman Research Grant, which awards up to a grand. And then Ceramics and Glass has the (coughs) Nigel Williams Prize, which comes in at a grand, £400 and £250. So exceedingly lucky if someone gets that. Uh, We've also got the Church's Conservation uh, Foundation Grant for Emerging Professionals. That's a good one. Uh, we've got the Art Funds Jonathan Ruffer Curatorial Grants. They're not as curatorial as they sound. They're open to all museum professionals, thus also conservators. Uh, and they're between 200 and, and £1.5 grand. Like £200 and one and a half grand. Uh, we've got the Sibiganet Travel Fellowship, which is for apprentices and students uh, when they want to go to conferences and stuff like that. So that's between £300 and £2k. We've got the Anna Plowden Trust, which we've already mentioned. So they do a series of them. So there's Conservation Training Scholarship. we got uh, the Award for Research and Innovation in Conservation. And we've got their CPD grants, which are done in conjunction with the Cloth Workers Foundation. And um, uh, if anyone knows any more that are available in the UK, then do let us know. And also feel free to let us know what's available abroad, because I'd love to know, you know, what's available to you, American conservators or a Canadian conservator. Basically, I'd just love to hear about what kind of pots of money that you've got that will benefit you and the people you should know about. I was going to ask if anyone has any pet peeves for when you're looking for or applying for funding. Because my pet peeve is not making clear what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and that is way more common than you think. Oh, yeah. Which is why you ring them up and you have that conversation.
0: No, yes. No, I do get that. Uh, And and, and I get that as well. Although sometimes I do wish that maybe people who give out grants could spend a little bit of time thinking about how you're talking to people. Or it might just be, could you have someone outside of your immediate circle of friends read what you're putting on the website? Uh, Because sometimes it's just... This literally doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I have no idea. What is this? What? What am I doing? So sometimes I've made up forms for things because forms didn't exist. And sometimes it's been really unclear what you do with references if you need any. And sometimes it's just been a case of I literally don't quite know how to submit this because you forgot to say that bit. And obviously, as someone who's setting this up, you already know all these bits. So it's really hard to think of saying them because they're so self-evident. To uh, you as someone who's setting up, like, maybe a charity or a, or, or a grant or something. So, pro tip, just have someone read through it. <laughs> maybe maybe user-tested, just a little bit. That's probably my pet peeve, but yes, I should just ring people up and be like, yo,
2: what am I supposed to do? But that's nice with they're small, like, it's actually really hard to get hold of them, because, like, yeah. they don't actually... like say when you're looking at like family foundations for example Mm. they only meet like three times three four times a year and they don't actually have an admin and they just kind of all do it in their spare time so it's kind of understanding like when their funding cycles are yeah although sometimes they have no
0: funding cycles (laughs) you just submit things oh yeah Um, that's also confusing when there's no deadline at all and it's like can I just Send it in. Uh, so apparently? sometimes like
2: what's helpful is to uh just do a bit of research and go onto the charity commission website and look at Ooh. all their kind of paperwork and just look at okay so they support x y and z this is their mission this is you know these are the people on the board because you can do a bit of stalking um and find <laughs> out bits about them you can find it just tells you everything and it also tells you how much money that they have how much money that they give out what their smallest grant is what their biggest grant is um so just do research and stalk and often there's contact details on there as well an address sometimes an email not usually a telephone number but you can kind of get in touch that way if you're not finding things out
0: excellent that's a good that's
1: a good Mm. tip I like it. The pet peeve, my pet peeve is language use and
0: uh, being frightened. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so is that just in terms of like writing things in a really unfriendly manner or is it the scariness I think, factor I think it's again, the scariness
2: it's, factor.
1: We
0: are big yeah. people. We have yeah.
2: money. Yeah. Oh, at the end of the day, they are just ordinary people. Then I've done a bit of major donor fundraising, and before I would be like literally petrified. (laughs) Until you sit down with them, you know, at a golf course and have a glass of red wine with them, and they're just ordinary people. They just have a lot of money, and so at the end of the day, it just it's a conversation with a person, (laughs) and I think. It's also understanding that actually the person that might be reading your application might have an interest in conservation or heritage or museums, but actually might not know a huge amount. So it's about putting it into layman's terms, like mm-hmm. really easy to read. Use, don't babyfy what you're trying to say, but don't use really complicated words that someone might have to kind of use a dictionary to kind of understand Mm. that you've got to and you've also got to understand that they're not just reading your application they're reading possibly hundreds of other applications so do it in a really simple format that uses really simple language that's really easy to read and that it's just kind of very personal and again Mm -hmm. if you're able to get to know someone within that kind of funding body or you know who's on the board you can kind of almost it's almost like a conversation that you're Mm -hmm. having with them so don't it's not like the same as doing a hlf where you've got to have like it's very structured it's very rigid even then you can still have that personal kind of softer more relaxed kind of tone to what you're saying but i think you can do so with
0: more smaller kind of pots of money okay so we've talked about grants and big funding bodies Mm -hmm. and how there's just not more money there necessarily so is there more money somewhere else
2: there are there is money and it is from people like me and you so it's individual giving which i think on estimate, as last year it brought in 10.8 billion, whereas trust wow. grants and foundations brought in 4.4. So it's slightly down from last year in the sense that there are less people giving, but there are more people giving more. So the average gift in the UK last year was £18. Mm. So it's kind of like a huge kind of area for growth. And I think, like, having come from the charity sector into the heritage sector, I think museums are getting better at fundraising, but what I'm not seeing is archives and local studies and also conservation. And they're seen to be kind of like 10 billion years behind everyone else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think right. everyone's, uh, everyone's kind of on that journey because they've kind of got to a point point. that like, oh, shit, we don't have any money oh what are we going to do and they've kind of carved out it in slightly the wrong way they've come out at like at fundraising from a point of desperation rather than it
0: rather than it being planned. well yeah because i feel like for conservation it kind of went oh well we'll just get rid of all the conservators first and then we'll go oh, no no thanks for oh yeah that and didn't co- solve anything and actually costs us
2: way more to uh, go to an external to get that it's yeah, weird so, yeah uh But I think it's just kind of the nature of it, and this is where we're at. And I think museums, heritage services are having to kind of rediscover themselves and also rediscover where their funding comes from because there is less and less kind of local authority funding around and
0: government funding and yeah I can kind of things. see how this would be a problem I, because like so you said archives and conservation and we're both kind of hidden away like we're we're quite behind the scenesy type mm. things and I think
2: it, it's all about it's all about sharing your stories it's all about educating the public mm. and also in a sense shouting about who you are and But I think it's partly internal that you're having to advocate as well as external. So it's having making your case within a museum setting or within a heritage setting, being like, Oh, by the way, we're really, really important and did you know we do X, Y, and Z and it costs this much and yeah, we're really valuable because actually without us you wouldn't be able to put on any exhibitions and you'd be screwed. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so it's actually really highlighting the value and importance of that so that internal yeah. advocacy but then it's like looking outwards and just being like actually people out there don't really know anything about what we do so how do we how can we educate people in really simple ways so me and you we did like a really simple shopping list tool and something about was it cuttlefish
0: oh yeah cuttlefish carapace and then porcupine quills yeah. that's my favorite yeah, to, to like, tell people that i use
2: exactly but what it's all about like okay so you need those things for what you do they're really strange but what do you use them for okay you use them to conserve x y and z but then actually there's a cost behind that and a cost behind the skill and the person and the extra things and you know and it's about telling those stories to to the general public and actually they'll be really really interested and fascinated they'll want to know more and there'll be that appetite for giving money and, and i think there's huge potential in kind of individual giving kind of either through donation boxes which are okay or individual gifts regular gifts legacy gifts which would be amazing for conservation legacy gifts are often the largest gifts that anyone gives in their lifetime Uh, well they're not lifetime because they're dead um (laughs) they're ever able to give if that makes sense um actually
0: a lot of our like funding pots come out of exactly that so actually that's or that should Some already be really familiar. Yeah. It's really
2: kind of, particularly for kind of training or yeah. for, you know, conferences. Ah, yes. Um, and light lectures mm. yeah. and those kind of things and making them available and free to develop people's skills and learning. So, there, yeah, there's huge potential there. But it's being able to tap into that quite strategically as an organisation
0: yeah. and then, yeah, drawing people in. Yeah. This is something we already talk about a fair bit, that we should communicate who we are and we should shout mm-hmm. about how great mm-hmm. we are and how important we are and outreach it's hugely important so people see what we do. Um and yeah, just so sort of we're more visible because otherwise we're just like ghosts in purple gloves. <laughs> just not really seen.
1: <laughs> Advocacy and conservation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a conservator. Oh, bears. No.
2: Oh
1: no. dolphins.
0: <laughs> no. No, no, not that either.
2: Yeah, I say, oh, I'm a fundraiser, and people walk away because they're immediately scared that I'm going to ask them for money, and I'm uh, like, no, 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 I'm actually a human being, and I'm really nice. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I, have, I will ask you for money later.
1: <laughs> what are people after? What do you need to? What do you need to do? What do you need what to say, you say you're in general? Do? <laughs> what do? we? What are we doing here? <laughs> right, so no, what, what are people after?
2: What do? What do pe What do funding bodies
1: require?
2: What. Each is each is really, really different. I think, yeah. like you were touching on research earlier, Jenny, mm-hmm. and I think that research is really, really key. And I think, yeah, you might have a project in mind and be like, oh, I need to fund, and you might find someone who kind of aligns with those values and those aims and those targets, but actually you might just have to position yourself slightly differently in order to frame it in a way that kind of the, the grant-making body is kind of after, if that makes sense. So I think it's all about A, read, and read the details, and I think it's also understanding what projects that they've recently funded, because that'll give you a real flavour for the kinds of things that they're interested in, the kinds of things that they'll fund, and then it's just doing that research. You might actually want to go and talk to someone that they funded before, and say, oh, what was, you know, what did they fund, how did it go, you know, can you give tell me a bit about the project that you kind of, or the piece of work, or the, you know, the training that you went on, you know, etc. And just piece together that kind of bit of a, kind of a story and a narrative and just do your research. Uh, the more research you do, the better your fundraising, the more money you'll get. And that's just proven whatever type of fundraising you do, whether it's corporate, community fundraising, individual, like, everything.
0: Sometimes the branding of a place can really tell you a thing or two about the people maybe behind it. Mm-hmm. So if something is looking very conservative, then you, you might think that oh, they're often like something that's um, of a certain style. Uh, yeah. and then if it's something that's because i i looked at some funding bodies recently and i came across a few that were like extremely colorful and bright and like really happy and they had a really happy tone of voice when they were kind of writing things and it was like i think these people want more of a conversational piece of work for a grant application mm-hmm. they don't want something starched so sometimes you you kind of have to suss mm-hmm. it out mm-hmm. like, but that, that that's all part comes, of, that that that's of part research. research yeah yeah,
2: yeah. Um, then
1: could you go for Say if you had you wanted to do some conservation on a really far-out, wacky collection, could you go for funding from someone a little bit more starch just because then you're tapping into the completely different, creative, not what they've seen before?
2: Yeah, totally. And actually what you would say to them is you'd call them up and say, look, do you want to come and have a look? Oh. You'd, you'd invite them over and say look we're really interested in applying for this pot of money because of x y and z give them a bit of narrative and actually invite them to see so if it's something completely new and you think whoa it's a bit of a risk invite them over and just see have that conversation um and again it's building that relationship it's getting them to know and if they can't fund you what they might say is actually you know such and such might be else it might be a better kind of fit mm-hmm. but actually staying in touch with us because we are interested in this mm-hmm. um so it's understanding kind of the different no's that people say um and how you kind of work around that oh different no's. oh yeah they're like n- that there's nine no's so you can find the nine fundraising no's on the managementcenter.co.uk website and they are absolutely amazing i've worked with them before uh, and so the nine fundraising no's are no not for this no not you so that's in relation to actually you're asking the wrong person um no not me again um have i got that right no yeah. so yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah again nothing no not you is about like i can't remember that one okay so no not you must be um uh, i don't want you to ask me yeah someone, someone else, else in your so, organization so it's sounds
2: like me. that peer-to-peer kind of and that's how people respond so if yeah. you're like a big ceo actually you want to talk to like the ceo of a charity yeah. or it example. might be that
0: if you're asking a working class person maybe like yeah maybe it just needs to be like on the same level, the same level yeah and
2: yeah. then no not me i think that's all about asking the wrong person yes. uh no not unless that's like kind of conditional so it's kind of like if i give you money i actually want something in return mm-hmm. uh no not in this way so it's about reimagining projects uh and just thinking about things in a different way no not now so again that's also with funding cycles so you're asking someone a particular at the wrong time no too much so you're actually pitching it way too high and you need to go a bit lower no too little it's my favorite one. Um, um, you're actually pitching way too low and you should be pitching a lot higher and then no, go away.
0: That's <laughs> just, nah, I can't. <laughs> That's just like, <laughs> no, you're
2: screwed. It's like, sorry, the relationship's over.
0: But basically no can mean... It's like things. so different, so
2: many different things. And I think people are, are a little bit scared by the whole no. And I think it's about kind of going back. It's about doing that research and it's about kind of building that relationship.
1: I have a question. <clears throat> yeah. It relates to no too little and no too much. Yeah. When you're assessing what you would like to ask for Uh, do you have to be specific does it depend on who you're asking for and what they require from you do you need to do costing this is for an application for an application of funding do you need to do costing or do you just say this is what i want to do and then you send it out there and they they decide
2: no no no. they (laughs) like you never let them decide
0: yeah, okay. no, no, never leave it up to them. No, no, you, no, because you, call- you might
2: end up with, like, 20p. like, <laughs> hey, we're you <laughs> Just no. So it all depends, though, different... Funding bodies will ask for different things, okay. and so through your research, you'll know that some organisations want, you know, a break costings breakdown for you in the, the entire project that you're doing, Please. and they are wanting to know like whether they're fully funding, part funding, mm-hmm. and if they're part funding, where else are you getting your money mm-hmm. from? Is that guaranteed, or is that work in progress? Is that you know? And so some of them, they really want like a level of detail because they oh. want to know that oh. actually you know, the project's actually going to go ahead, mm-hmm. um, and their money's going to be used properly. Oh my god! Because awesome. they can actually ask for their money back if you screw up. <laughs>
1: yeah. Jesus, it's like applying to a mort for a mortgage
2: all over again. Well, yeah, <laughs> kind of tip, that's, that's why they kind of hire people to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's so- <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: and this is why it's a profession now.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. also, some,
0: something that we haven't talked about is yeah, okay, well done, you've gone your grant often that comes with some strings attached to yeah. oh my gosh
2: it comes with so much more
0: work and people would never realize yeah so you
2: have to do all the and I mean you have to do these reports I can't stress to you how important it is because it looks really badly if you don't um and actually trust grant and foundations they talk to each other they're not like these mysterious things a lot of them are friends and if they find out that you're really bad at reporting and telling you telling like reporting back at how you've used the money and the impact you might not get money from other trust grants and foundations
0: because they're all buddies yeah and you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot so you no. do have to work oh, god that's Much terrifying like, isn't it yeah but like okay so let's uh, let's for example say um i got some anna plowden trust money mm-hmm. i had to put the logos in my presentation at the mm-hmm. end mm-hmm. i'm familiar um, with yeah yeah I'm exactly a and, then, and like the report and something to me, that was really socially awkward. Was that I had to ask people to take photos of me at the event, oh, no, I because see. obviously they want to prove that I'd been there. Uh-huh. It's not, yeah. you know, like you know, photographic evidence. But the good news is that other conservators and museum professionals, because it was a really mixed crowd are great at this because they've all had to do this at some mm. point or they're very familiar with the process. So people, regardless of where they are, I think I asked someone really high up in the v without a without knowing, <laughs> um, uh, like, to take a photo of me sitting in the crowd. And then she was really sweet and did that. So, like, people just do this sort of thing for you because they they're totally familiar with it if you just say i just need to write a report on this they're like oh of course how many photos do you want (laughs) you know it's just you know people are very understanding if it's like you know for your personal training and that sort of thing but yes so big or small it comes with strings attached and yes you definitely do need to do that and it's like factoring
2: into that in factoring that into your workload so for example if you're going to do your store's Project and you have got lots of funding from lots of different bodies, mm-hmm. you're obviously going to then have to report back to all those different funding mm-hmm. bodies, and that's quite a lot of work when you sit mm-hmm. down and think and about also, it. And
0: also, it's probably going to be in different ways for each one, you're yeah. not going to write one no, no, report like that. That no. was my next question they, Can they I just all write a report? have and their different, oh, okay. um, different requirements, for example, with different word counts, so different no copy things. copy paste them? Definitely oh, definitely not. no. Okay. Uh, so, so, <laughs> so, that's one thing to be prepared for if you are planning to be able to put some money. But I mean, for some, some of these Things it's easier than others because, uh, for example, how it works with Anna Plowden is that you don't get the money until you've been, until you've submitted the report. That's when you get the money. So you're going oh, to be out of pocket up until that point. So mm. you're just punishing yourself. You're not <laughs> going to get the money that, that you've been awarded if you don't send them the proof. But for obviously big capital projects and museums, that's not the case. Mm. And uh, you get the money up front or in installments. And you're going to have to work for it and produce everything at the end. Sometimes there will be a little bit of leeway in how long you can take after a project is finished, but it needs to be done. You cannot put it off indefinitely. Yeah, and if you don't do it, sometimes you can't go back to them and ask for more money. Yeah, exactly. That's really embarrassing. And you get
2: kind of like a red mark next to your name.
0: Yeah, and you don't want that embarrassment. You no. just don't. Like, as an institution or an individual, you don't, you don't want that. So
1: write your reports,
2: people.
0: Yes, mm. definitely. definitely. And
2: sometimes they actually want to come and visit you. And they want to come and visit your project because they're kind of like, oh yeah, we're really interested in this. We want to see what you've done. Yeah, yeah so do the work when you said
0: you're going to do <laughs> yeah. it as well. Yeah, site visits are really popular with some of the bigger funding bodies. I've definitely been, I, I think I'm,
1: though I'm not familiar with the applying side of things, I'm definitely familiar with the, um, having having applied and been successful and now these are the things that that <laughs> that you need to do. Yeah. Um, so I've been, I've hosted or been part of the hosting of, yeah. really, really large funding bodies that have come and it's like, this is Sir such and such and he's turning up and he's very interested in conservation he asks of questions, it's a bit scary. But generally, obviously, it's an extremely positive yeah. experience. It's just, yeah, you know, they're in the building sort of level yeah. of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone be good. <laughs> they're in the
0: fence. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we could uh, spend a little bit of time talking about conservators as fundraisers. Because whilst we don't get any fundraising training as part of our degrees or anything, sometimes none. yeah, sometimes we do have to be fundraisers or become fundraisers, uh, which is an interesting journey to go on. Uh, and Sarah, you have helped me through some of that journey. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Trust me, it's no easy
2: route into fundraising either. Yeah, I think there's like there are some courses now, but. I I mean I did art history and not thinking that I I hadn't the faintest idea what I was going to do then I ended up working abroad and I was like oh this is really awesome charities do really amazing things and they fund really cool projects and that's how it all started so yeah there's no easy route in and I I think I started with an internship and then I busted my butt doing some really boring jobs and then I am where I am now
0: well I'm thinking I think I've seen like a webinar and if I find and if I find what it is then I'll put a link in the show notes to like what makes a good grant application in really broad terms like oh, I can share lots of links to you oh brilliant excellent that's about the extent of it right like there's not a lot out there that's accessible and like will will teach you anything but through basically a kind of resilience uh, project at work I've, I've had a little bit of insight into what fundraising is what different types of fundraising can be it doesn't mean like i initially feared standing outside with a bucket going please fund the museum that's not what it means that's that's not at all what it is actually um i
2: can play part of it i mean i like shaking a bucket but <laughs> so you're not technically allowed to shake the bucket wow um, that's right, um, shaking the bucket is it threatening yeah really so you're not allowed to of shake the bucket Yeah, you have to just just empty. Well, you can if it's empty, but you have to literally just stand there. Yeah. It's part of the rules and regs, the old fundraising. Oh, yeah, there's like a whole website with like funding regulations on it that you're supposed to abide by. It's uh, mildly petrifying and boring, but helpful. (laughs)
0: To me, it was an eye-opener that there are more ways of fundraising.
2: There are so many ways of fundraising. There's, like, individuals, and within that, there's, like, one-off gifts, regular gifts. There's corporate giving. There's lots of strands within that as well. Legacy. There's legacy. That kind of sits under individuals and in
0: memory. Uh, What else is there?
2: Mm, There's so many types. It's a bit mind-boggling.
0: I mean, that's fascinating. I also liked learning this about myself you kind of introduced me to ways that you can be a fundraiser. Oh yeah, there's lots like of Like if you're an asker and if you're, you're a Yeah, like an
2: asker, you're a getter, you're um I like there were five something. types. Yeah, there were but time. I can't remember them off the top of my yeah.
0: head. It was an eye opener to me because I realised that I already do ask people for money, like I'll I'll sell someone some raffle tickets. Hi. Uh <laughs> <her> <laughs> Chloe. <That's> so cute. <laughs> and you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And I'll tell people about charities I'm involved in, which is another way that mm-hmm. you can fundraise just to kind of raise awareness and go, mm-hmm. hey, I support this because because of these reasons. So I'm not actually pushing an agenda on anyone, I'm just sharing my experiences. But that inspires people. So
2: in telling those stories, actually you're sharing something that you're really passionate about and the person that you're telling is going to connect with you. And so that share is really, really valued. And so it's understanding the different types of fundraisers that there are you are or there are around you and being able to kind of piece that together fairly strategically in order to kind of get the best out of what
0: you're... But I guess that's really do. relatable to me because I can already be passionate about heritage and museums. And that really helps, trust me. So, like, that's something that should be so easy to translate. It's not all that easy. But uh, <laughs> but maybe as museum people and heritage people, we need to just get better at talking about why we're so enthused about it. I mean, why do we work low-paid jobs for something we love? Why do we love it? I mean, just just share them
2: and just people. like shout out about it you know at every single level because people that's how people will connect so whether it's an individual putting a, you know a pound or a penny in a donation box or you know a corporate who's just had hired your building because of x y and z if you share that passion that knowledge and you start sharing those stories that kind of hook them in and they just want to get They'll be thirsty for more and kind of hopefully give you more money.
0: I would argue that conservatives are uniquely good at that because mm-hmm. we're already so enthused about the things mm-hmm. that we find. I mean, who, who else can you find if you talk mm. about leather for like three hours? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like the amount of enthusiasm that's kind of in the conservation profession. We, we just need to learn to communicate that with people and then hopefully people can throw some money at us. And just like lovely. really shout
2: about it and shout about all the weird and wonderful things. Because... Trust me, the weird and wonderful things stick in people's minds.
0: Yeah, they do. They really do. Like, the weird facts are the things that we all remember, of course. Mm. So, um, Yeah pro tip like share your weird experiences and your joy for what you do and and that that genuinely helps and it helps people realize that museums aren't doing amazingly well and that's not something shameful it's just something we have to own up like we need money
2: yeah and they're actually run by human beings uh, because people don't realize yeah no and I didn't actually realize quite how many jobs kind of took place within a museum having worked in the charity sector um and I was a little bit surprised by all the different roles um yeah they're run by humans yeah,
0: <laughs> they are, and they also need money. Uh, they, they need money to stay open, um, and and that can be kind of an, an interesting hard sell to people because people always think of museums as very rich. Um, yeah, like we have all this stuff. Well, yeah, it's all, the, all it's, valuable. It's all right? the stuff. It's all valuable, and the buildings can be, you know, classical architecture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it depending on how they look, and it kind of conveys an amount of wealth. I kind activity. of just say it, but, like, I, what struck
2: me was, so obviously museums take in objects that have been kindly donated. Yeah. How do people think that they're going to be looked after? Oh, they don't. But that's I the whole don't. thing. It's kind of like, yeah. well, actually, are we telling people, you know, by the way, it costs X, Y, and Z to care for this object, mm. and it's going to be in our care for the next 50, 100, 150 years, bearing in mind we've been open for, like, the last 150 years. Mm this is how much it costs actually and why aren't you communicating that when someone hands over an object to you and that's part of that consideration yeah um and saying that actually you're donating this but would you actually consider consider giving a financial gift as well mm. because we're not only care you know we've not just taken this in so that your item is there you know and cared for and blah blah blah, in memory of x y and z but actually it's there for so many other people to enjoy or, or to learn from or you know or do, it does require conservation work. Yeah. Why aren't we actually saying that to people? Oh, by the way, it costs us this much. Yeah, it's a good actually. Point. I think some people would give money off the back of that.
0: Yeah, and I suppose if you don't ask, then it's always you're, a no.
2: You're just
1: not going to get.
0: Yeah. So.
1: So I heard of a um, a really interesting idea that I hadn't considered before, um, and that's I, and I adopt an object. Ah yes. I
0: love, that. Yeah. Really I love great. that. It's actually really great. Oh yeah. So I've seen it. I've heard of the concept in a lot of different uh, places, but the last time I saw it was Norfolk Museum Service. Right. Um, something I find interesting is that I feel like Adopt a Book came first. Okay. I could mm. be wrong about that, but the British Library has an Adopt a Book scheme, which is now spread to other places mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, archives and libraries I've heard that, yeah. now have Adopt a Book um, projects. So the British Library is extremely clear that this supports the conservation mm-hmm. of the book. Like, this is what your money is for. What I've noticed that Norfolk Museum Service is doing, and I'm not saying this is bad or worse or any is they don't connect it to conservation at all. It's more of a gimmick. Oh. It's more about what you get out of it. Okay. You, you get to meet your object. You get, like, a nice key ring mm. or something. And it, it's <laughs> it's very it's like it's like very much what the person gets out of it. It's not, this is to preserve the object. Mm. This is so we can look after things for longer. So they're, they're very different approaches. There is, and there's
2: a reason for that. It's because people are wanting to get more and more out of the money that they give. Yeah. Uh, it's not. I'll be saying it's not about what they... You know, they're not giving... They'll give money because they want to help. Yes, that's true. Mm. But actually, a lot of people, they're, we're becoming quite transactional in the way that we fundraise. So we naturally want to get something out of the fundraising, mm. out of the money that we give. Sorry. And so that's where kind of museums are coming out with these products because, because was it Norfolk museums? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you actually have to pay to go to their museums. Yeah. Um, they're not free to enter. So that's why they're having to kind of create these gimmicks. Because if you're having to pay, why would I give you a donation?
0: Mm. Yeah. No, Although true. actually,
2: quite a lot of people would give you a donation mm-hmm. if you asked in the right way or if you you know so that's why they're kind of no, that's a good
0: point because I hadn't really considered that British Library is free to visit isn't it yeah. yeah. So.
2: and actually it's a way of getting unrestricted funds that you can actually use for anything and not simply for conservation yeah. and it's more beneficial to an organisation to have a vast pot of unrestricted funds that you can then dip into for conservation it's not just restricted conservation because yeah. it can be that your conservation pot gets really really full and actually you need to spend some time painting your walls or doing your toilets mm-hmm. up but you can't because it's all stuck in a conservation Mm-hmm. Yeah. and you have to kind of respect the fact that people have given it to you for conservation mm. um, which makes it quite complicated to work around
0: so you could conserve your toilet but i don't know how well that'll go down <laughs> yeah
1: um, if you wanted yeah.
0: to do it like. yeah no i see it. obviously that the hoarding conservator in me goes no but I, I want my own pot of money that'd be nice <laughs> but <laughs> i also get that i'm part of a large organization that might have very different needs mm. and frankly if we don't have toilets we have no visitors in which case you just have is... no money full stop which, So if, how do you cost?
1: how do you cost for adopt an object then
0: because
1: i suppose for um institutions that also conservation studios and labs that also work as get external contracts and and fundraise in that way so conserving people's things for money Mm. that is usually done on an hourly cost rate basis and then if you advertise to people would you like to adopt this object for conservation then If you do, because it's your own collection, do you cost at the same amount? And then if you don't, because most people wouldn't be able to afford the amount that a proper lot of conservation would cost, then you're tying yourself into loads of work that is actually less than what you could achieve
0: otherwise. But then you are
1: also getting your own collection conserved.
0: I'll be very naughty here and say that it's not about that at all. It's entirely about what your audience is. So Uh Uh, who is it that you think is going to adopt your object? Is it rich people? If you're in London, that might be the case. Uh, if you're not in London, you might be looking at people who don't have an awful lot of disposable mm-hmm, income. Mm-hmm. If you're somewhere in the north, there might be people who have very little disposable income mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Norfolk priced some of their objects at 25 quid, for which you get a lot of gimmicky things.
2: Okay.
0: Um, and, like, special access yeah. to your object, and then you can sit down with it and be... A-
2: but it's also, it also could be that actually they're not doing it for conservation at all. That's just mm. the story right. that they're telling, yeah. Yeah. and actually they're using it as a hook to get you onto their database to then go back to them and say, "Actually, do you want to give us another gift? Actually, do you want to become <laughs> a regular giver? Actually, do you want to leave us a legacy?" It's all part of that right. kind of, okay. and that's much that that'll be part of their wider fundraising strategy as an organisation. Uh, yeah, so um,
0: it, it might I be see. that it's unconnected, but I think what you do is you would never think of this is how much it costs to conserve it because that's a different right. kind of thing. Mm. That's not really adopt an object. That's more of a I was about to say just giving or GoFundMe, but I'm sure there's other platforms that are better mm-hmm. for this. Like mm-hmm. this, that's more of a pitch where it's like a crowdfunding. Holy crap. Yeah, we exactly. Need we need to, five yeah, grand yeah. to look after yeah. our fire engine. Uh, quickly, let's let's get five grand mm-hmm. because obviously you want the you want the fire engine. right?
2: There was a horde that was discovered in the southwest Somerset.
0: Somerset, okay.
2: Somewhere around there. Uh Uh-huh. I'm I'm pretty sure we've got the wrong county. And, um, so basically they had a... And they just kind of discovered this hoard. It was part of a massive redevelopment of their kind of museum. I think it was kind of independent trust kind of set up. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. I have a leaflet about it on my desk somewhere. (laughs) Um, and they wanted to kind of almost advertise what they were doing what they'd found but actually needed support and so a way that they did that was adopted on object because it raised a profile of what they'd discovered mm. and also how they were going to transform the museum and how to get people involved but some of them were like they were like 20, between £25 pounds and like 250 quid. Um, but that was a conservation kind of angle mm. um, and also display and exhibitions so it all form, forms part of kind of quite a big fundraising campaign which is one mm. element of that
0: I mean so, I suppose for something like that you might look at More of a, well, what do we think the overall cost would be to actually conserve that? Right. Uh, Maybe with in house staff Mm -hmm. as opposed to external staff, Mm -hmm. just to keep costs down. And then let's say, what kind of uh, material would we need to display it? Then you Mm -hmm. might do a total cost. And then, as it turns out, there are 3,000 objects in there. So actually, you could split that out to like a really reasonable sum per object. Then, you know, it might be that, well, actually, you just need x amount of people give mm-hmm. you five quid yeah, and you've met the cost and you can exhibit mm-hmm. it and you mm-hmm. can conserve it, and it. But it's also understanding,
2: okay, and it's about selecting the items really carefully so that people out there are like, oh yeah, I kind of understand this and I understand why it needs conserving and yeah, mm-hmm. I'm really interested and I'm really drawn in and so it's all, yes, you have a need as an organisation or as a conservator but actually you've got to really flip it the other way, like at the end of the day you are not the target audience or yeah. market or, you know, yeah, you've got to think about the people out there who are giving you money and put yourself in their shoes mm-hmm. so it's sometimes worth having kind of like groups of people who are particularly like close to you like members of the public um who access what you do or access your museum or heritage and just bring them together as like a group and ask those ask them those questions mm-hmm. um and just say like we're thinking about doing this how you know what do you think can you think of any other ideas you know we're developing this re- you know this fundraising project and um, we'd like to have your input and actually if you start engaging people in that way they're going to kind of you know they're really involved and are really passionate about it too they'll bring lots of people in to kind of fundraise and share that
1: with you so you wouldn't necessarily need to get before and after shots of this is the conservation
0: that you have enabled you just you could have, do if that's part you of your do, pitch yeah then, then okay. that can totally be that can totally mm. be something like that but i mean i suppose it's You'd have to consider what you're selling, essentially. Yeah.
2: Because, yeah, because you, there would be pointless us being like, "Yeah, we need to conserve this." Oh, yeah, but it's not going to go on display for eight years.
0: Yeah, then then it's a much harder sell. Yeah. We, just need,
2: like... we, just, we just need it doing because otherwise it's going to completely fall to bits. But we're not going to do anything <laughs> with it. We're just really desperate. Yeah, that's not going to work.
0: Also, it needs to be a slightly sexy object uh-huh. in there,
2: or something completely weird, like yeah. completely weird. Yeah, something like, weird,
0: like if like there was like the whole the whole fake mermaid need a conservation oh they would have God. that funded within five minutes because like people would throw themselves at that it's yeah. weird
1: it's a weird thing so is that in the is that in the i've got crowdfunding written down as well underneath adopt an object is that would you consider that would be a more effective strategy it to, can for the can't. conservation of an object to sometimes. raise sometimes money.
2: but actually it's really rare um, right. actually so for example what did i read recently so for five that is you're crowdfunding for five grand most organizations would get two grand or less you have to be really really successful um right. and so some organizations do it really really well and because they've got like really interesting things behind mm-hmm. them a really interesting crowd who are interested mm-hmm. but actually it's quite it's quite difficult um and it's not something that charities do particularly well um smaller charities do they're a bit more grassroots but it's a no-no for bigger organizations right
0: and on the subject of crowdfunding there is actually a dedicated one for heritage projects done by the art fund and it's called art happens and that's crowdfunding only for that sort of project right Mm -hmm. where it's
2: see these are usually a bit more successful Mm. um just because it's the kind of thing where you might get major donors who are interested in arts projects who might go on it and just say oh yeah i'm really interested in that but it's not my area but it's kind of a theme that's kind of yeah i might just give that a few thousand pounds or a few this is
1: exactly the kind of thing that i was thinking about when Mm. i was thinking of individual object funding
0: but you can only do it so often because yeah big it's Mm. a huge amount of work yeah I remember attending a talk when I... Oh, I'm trying to remember. It was human remains that was going to be displayed in North Wales. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they'd done a crowdfunding campaign to bring them there and to display them and properly look after them. And it was an amazing campaign and very successful and I can't remember if it was a conserv- conservator or collections manager that was kind of running it, but, like, she had no staff, she had no helpers, and she said mm-hmm. this was an enormous amount oh, of work. Oh, it takes up a huge right. amount of time. This, this campaign amazing. was insane. So, I mean, don't think that even if you get on a platform like ArtFund where you have some help, this is going to be like a small project that you can just do on the side on top of all your stuff. It's not a huge amount of work. It's an enormous amount of work. It's going to involve more staff than you can imagine and it's going to take more time than you can imagine. Crowdfunding, anything, is incredibly Mm -hmm. difficult. Mm -hmm. So you definitely couldn't do it on a regular basis. You definitely couldn't do it for like... Every time you find an object that's a bit sad, you're going to have to <laughs> save it for the big one. And also
2: people get really bored of them as well. I think yeah. Bose did two really good ones, but that was to bring in pieces of art. that's to commission pieces of artwork. Um, and they kind of were overfunded, um, which allowed them to do lots of really cool things. But I'm
0: going to be um, honest with you, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of done with them because yeah. I, I was really into them for a while and now I'm kind of like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's i'm not saying it's out of fashion yet because i don't mm-hmm. think it is i mm-hmm. think it's still a valid platform mm. it's just to be aware that like all things you can't overdo it like there's a there's only so many That'll yeah
1: the one i'm familiar with i've uh, been involved with was um it uh it got its its amount of x amount of money in like a week when it had a month and it was a huge success but that was one of the sort of Super sexy topics of the moment, and it was an extraordinary object, the likes of which hadn't been seen in the public eye for thirty years, blah 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 all of that sort of thing and that I think it's a very positive story, but it's you know if you've not if you're if you honestly not got something that's you know an exceptional unique piece of whatever you just need something conserved then that's probably not going to be it's probably yeah, not gonna and cut
0: then, it and also you can only use these if you have a lot of run up time, so for mm-hmm. example. Let's say that a big piece of artwork has come up for auction and you're you're told about it with quite short notice. (laughs) You don't have time to crowdsource that. No. Even though you don't have the money, you're going to have to go and find money somewhere else or do something else. Mm -hmm. So it only works if you have loads of run up. It's not something that can be done on short notice. The prep time, the time for the campaign to actually run and then for you to actually gather the funds up and do something with them and then tell everyone about how amazing you are. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it takes or, a long time. It's a huge it's, amount of work. Yeah, it is, um,
0: and and it truly takes a length of time. That's worth mm. noting. So it's not that it's a bad thing. It's wonderful, but and it, it can really work. Just saying, it's not something that you would roll out for every
3: no. um, social every history object, object you want. That, yeah. that you
0: find. But it can be super successful. Obviously, yeah. I'm thinking of things like the sunbathers, big conservation work as piece of a piece of work as well. But that was crowdfunded That could go on display again. And mm-hmm, all that. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are clearly success stories out there which have a great conservation element mm. to it as well, not mm-hmm. just let's buy some art that doesn't need anything. Um, Manchester Suffragette banner. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was rather hoping you would say that. <laughs> so there are great success stories, uh, and they are fantastic. I'm saying crowdfunding probably isn't the solution to everything that we need to achieve, but it's one thing to consider. So if anyone out there has any other cool examples of fundraising uh for conservation success stories, yeah,
1: or then, failures yeah. would be interesting to hear about as well. Yeah, not to be negative about it, no, but, but what, every what every step's a learning curve, isn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly. so but also, like, I think it's fundraising is all about taking risks, and I think it's kind of interesting to share what risks that you've taken as well, because I think there's a huge fear in, mm. of sharing that charities do all the time and the fact that they invest quite a lot of money in their fundraising and they might do what they think is absolutely amazing campaign but it completely flops mm. but what risk did they have to take that and also mm-hmm. their failure and i think it's really helpful to share those kind of stories because then it really breaks down the barriers of kind of like oh well actually this is part of fundraising this is you know what we're about yeah. um and i think it just
0: brings people together in a way
2: that it hasn't before
0: yeah no i absolutely agree i think Maybe there's room for more of a forum there for museums to kind of share uh, successes and failures and just kind of, like, hash out that, oh, turns out this didn't work because of this. I mean, you think about it, that's perhaps obvious, but it means that someone else doesn't have to, like, do it the same yeah, way. Yeah, so are or... a lot of
2: kind of fundraisers, so there's the Institute of Fundraising,
0: uh, they bring together
2: fundraisers from across the country, but often... Like when I worked in Bath, uh, we just had a group of fundraisers that I met for lunch once a month. And we each took it in turns to share our successes, failures, risks uh, in a really informal setting. Because um, we recognised, yep, we're in competition with each other, but we actually have to work it together in order to do a fundraise. Um, so that was really, really helpful.
0: So it might be helpful. Which is a to lot think. of the museum sector, to be fair. Where it's like,
2: yeah. Yeah. Hey,
0: we're, all, we're all trying it together. <laughs> mm-hmm. But actually, yeah. it opened the
2: door to a lot of partnerships, like really creative yeah. partnerships between kind of like creative organisations and, and like kind of health organizations and actually working together in order to pull together a really interesting kind of like uh project that they could apply for funding for and so it opened the door to a lot of conversation and partnerships but really unusual partnerships
0: i like it that's a good pro tip to end on i think Mm. yeah share your successes and your failures people it's good stuff
3: dear jane are the accreditation specialisms too narrow for those of us working in a non-private institution where our roles are changing? Is accreditation deemed as a necessity of a wish for prospective employers and will the downturn of funding affect this? Dear inquirer, well I've put off answering your question for quite some days when I've thought about it because it is quite a difficult one to answer. The first thing you asked was, are the accreditation specialisms too narrow? And my instinct was no, and I've actually looked it all up again in case I was out of date. And all the guidance on specialisms is really that you identify your specialisms and that your specialisms might overlap and you get to choose. So I'm not quite sure where the question comes from. You get accredited as a conservator and you have to show that you're able to deliver the five aspects of conservation with judgment and ethics. And you can show that for preventive roles or for interventive roles and for all different types of material. And this is really why I've been putting off answering you because I'm wondering if what's opened up is a difference within accreditation between the principles of accreditation and the practice of accreditation. And that perhaps you've experienced someone telling you that you have to um, Identify in a very narrow role of conservation specialism in order to do that. You obviously have to say to ICON what your specialisms are so they can pick an assessor who can match you. But again, that sounds reasonable to me because... You know, Even if your specialism is, I do objects, natural history and about 50% preventive, they still need to know that in order to match you. So I'm, I, that's why I struggled with answering your question. And I've not really got an answer for that. If someone has told you that accreditation is narrowly specialist, then I think you should challenge it. That's all I can say. And whenever anybody asks me what my specialism is, I'm very tempted to say I'm a conservator. That's quite specialist enough. You would then go on to ask, because you're quite sneaky and you've got lots of questions in, and well done to you for that. Um, What about people in non-private museums? Um, Are their roles changing? And I guess people's roles are changing in that they're broadening and being asked to take on more tasks. But I don't see why you can't make a project fit. Accreditation item four is about management uh, of your time, so you could show how you managed a project, even if it was quite a diverse project. But you still have to be able to understand and assess an object, or uh, a situation and make recommendations for the pre- preservation of the cultural heritage, and I do think that these are the basic definitions of conservation, and you should be able to do that to become accredited conservator and i don 't really think that there 's anything wrong with it as it 's written. You also asked, is it going to be necessary to have accreditation, um, particularly with the tightening of the screws in terms of the economy? I think, and I don't know if this is going to be good news, but I think that in a situation where there's more and more people looking for jobs and fewer and fewer opportunities, it means employers are able to ask for more, which means that they are getting more people applying for jobs and you're going to have to work harder to stand out. So I honestly think that the difficult times enables employers to ask for more. Sometimes you see some quite horrendous job adverts where They're offering tiny salaries and they're asking for master's degrees and all sorts of things. Um, And I've certainly seen quite a few things in social media where institutions, including museums, have been called out for that. So I think that accreditation will do well under the austerity in some respects. I also think that where organisations outsource, having some kind of standard that they can look to bring people in who work on a private sector basis... Still means that accreditation should be valuable to you so to summarize all this rambling is I'm really sorry if I have misunderstood your question I don't think accreditation requires unnecessary specialization but if that has been your experience then perhaps that's something you should challenge or go back to the rules. I hope that helps over and out so trying to think of how to
1: put this this is i think we can frame this as a follow-up to our political collections episode okay um, making a stand and this is in relation to an event i was at at the time of recording two days ago so it's still fresh in my mind it was an exhibition opening Mm -hmm. of a feminist exhibition and i'm being vague just because the exact context i guess isn't really important to my tiny little round in the exhibition there was a piece of Modern art, which is brilliant. I can't remember exactly what it was called. And this excellent piece of art was essentially a toilet roll that had been printed with all of the everyday sexist comments that the artist and the artist's friends and relatives, female relatives had been subjected to Mm -hmm. um, over a period of time. And the exhibition opening was very, very busy, and it was displayed in such a way as to basically just be toilet roll on a toilet roll halt hanging down. And obviously, the conservators listening will know that just invites people to pull at it. Oh,
0: That God. just
1: invites people to unravel the whole thing. Oh, what's this? Let's read a whole, along the whole length. And if that's the purpose of the artwork, that's fine. And in this instance, the artist was moving it and kind of piling it on the floor a little bit and having a look at it like that, taking photos, posing next to it. Everyone was really interested and tactile with it, which, you know, if the artist is physically present and they can tell you that it's okay, you know it's okay. The bit that I was confused about was almost as soon as the exhibition opened, an addition arrived on the floor next to the artwork. And this addition was um, a sanitary towel that had been sort of crumped up, crumpled up to appear to have been used. Now, I don't know when it arrived and I don't know why and I don't know whether... It was basically, is this an addition to the artwork? Is it a protest? God. Was it an accident? And that put me in a um vast dilemma of do i do i tidy it away or would i be damaging the artwork is this <laughs> the museum has not been informed of this addition being added so we can't make allowances for it if it's a protest then in a in a protesting museum then that sh- that's that's exactly you know great but are to arrive? Are they going to get oh, stuck man. to objects that are on open display what's what's going on and i talked to the I talked to the um <laughs> it was just a, it was a, it was just a bit of a, a strange situation. I yeah. talked to the collections officer and he was <laughs> he was like, "Am I allowed to take um, should I remove it as a man Should I remove <laughs> oh, it And I was like, "Well, probably not, but if we don't know, then you know you if people inquire about it yeah and you don't know what it is who put it there why it's there when it arrived oh, right. then you can't answer yeah. you can't say it's not litter this is part of these reasons and it is put there by this group and um here's a leaflet you know you can't <laughs> like you can't respond as a as an authority institution or you know, a hauser of the artwork. You can't respond to people's questions about the artwork as an educating figure if you don't know about it that's hard modern art keeps confronting me with (laughs) so many questions that I don't (laughs) think I ever considered that I would be confronted with as a conservator like even just the removal of something that you're not sure is part of the artwork could be damaging the artwork I just don't I just yeah welcome to contemporary art (laughs) welcome to contemporary art So I, I've obviously, if, if this is you know a feminist exhibition, what a brilliant addition. What a brilliant way, what a brilliant thing to ha- to be able to invite your viewers to add their own protest that's fantastic but if we don't know then we can't either invite or protect it oh yeah. we also can't answer people if they were to go oh my god it's so disgusting there's new sanitary towels because
0: my gut in- instinct when you told the story was uh, I'd, I'd ask the artist and be like what well, what would you like to do because it's yeah. ultimately their yeah. artwork yeah but yeah, it's it's a protest museum, and then there's a protest in the museum. Oh. Yeah,
1: because that's that's really yeah. valuable in the the whole, you know, the the tax, the text sanitary products yeah. is a huge deal. It's a massive, it's a massive issue, but it's not <laughs> one of the issues that was curated within the exhibition. Yeah, but I mean, I expect partly because there are so many issues you can't possibly have them all
0: i mean Um, i really want this to be someone's very deliberate choice of thing to put near an artwork and not just someone going this will be a bit of a laugh
1: my feeling is that it's yeah my feeling is that it is an an intentional additional protest probably by the friends or associates of the artist because it's you know it is such a hot topic Mm. but you know I mean, for, for all I know, it could be an answer. It could be a scathing answer to the artwork yeah. by an enemy. You know, yeah. does that mean that we're not protecting the rights of the artist by by keeping that artwork safe? It's anyway. That's that that fascinating. My, yeah, it was fascinating me, yeah. because it was very, very busy. People were taking photos of the two together. They were coiling yeah. the, t- the toilet paper up next to the sanitary towel. And it was all very edgy and interesting and
0: vibrantly political but well, how lovely to have that amount of reaction because I, exactly. like, I feel like exactly because i feel like that's a fantastic response to art i feel like in a lot of art galleries you might just get people being a bit aloof stroking their chins yes yeah yeah
1: and that is it's brilliant and you know that's obviously very valuable but we need to be we as museums it can't be as free form as it ended experimental and as Open platform as all that because we have to f- be able to follow some protocol because we are answerable because it's all about the history <laughs> isn't
0: that part of the object because yeah, exa- it's added something to it exactly was it added it's by- not original but yeah. was it added by the artist
1: oh man that's kind of fantastic. modern art constantly requires a greater understanding of conservation yeah. ethics than I think I can hold in my brain at any one time <laughs> and there is no right answer and it never stops questioning us i mean also what's the deterioration like on a pant on a on a sanitary towel well like, yeah
0: because they're not really meant to last that's kind of the whole thing they're disposable so yeah but then has anyone plastics has, right has Adhesive? anyone audited tested a panty liner can we do that we can totally do that
1: did the brands make a difference oh this can be a whole thing now. Oh, they're soaking lit.
0: like there's there must be <laughs> can someone audit test scientifically some panty liners please as the oldest thing i've ever heard myself say
1: <laughs> i think well this is this is possibly a precursor to if um, you buy me some particular if you buy me some panty
0: liners on... i will audit test them for you done sweet <laughs> i've i've got facilities
1: and here comes our episode on modern art which is inevitable it's coming at us it will eventually When
0: we've got time in our super busy schedule. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, Other things that we're going to talk about in comments, questions and corrections. Uh, That's a little song now. We've had some comments on the uh, last Dear Jane question, which was about how you handle a mansplainer. I think the discussions have been around whether or not you you would ever take it to HR, basically. And I think the consensus has been that HR is a minefield. It's really about using your influencing powers rather than making a formal approach, because that will actually create a conflict that you might never recover from. And someone else was saying that uh, they've found peer pressure to be the most effective way of dealing with this sort of thing. Raise a disputed issue in a professional forum or a staff meeting – and watch while others make the point for you. Minute it and add it to your policy if possible. And I thought that that was quite quite a clever way. Mm. Um, and yeah, I would agree. Taking things to HR might just be a way of just being told, oh, you'll be fine. Or like, at the same time, whilst making it official, also being slightly patronized because HR might not necessarily have the delicate skills that you might expect an HR team to have. <laughs> um sometimes it is a bit more of a bull in a china shop affair so maybe leave hr out of it for as long as possible and just try to use your influencing powers get some practice in with influencing next we've got got a lovely message from the danish professional body as you know we did an episode on professional bodies earlier this season and uh, this email ended up being kind of falling falling out of our inboxes somehow it, it wasn't oh, no. i think they were having some server issues like with their email oh, servers so we actually never received it oh, but they no. did but they did write it up so they've said it again thank you to uh pia and camilla for sending this to us and yeah i just thought we'll have a really really quick chat about what the yeah. danish branch of the nordic conservators association uh, are doing So what benefits do you provide your members? Uh, It was, again, newsletter twice a year, network meetings, a digital newsletter, a Facebook group, conferences, seminars and a peer-reviewed newsletter along with the other Nordic sections. As a full member, you pay 53 euros a year. An associate member is 47 euros a year and institutional membership is 74 euros. Uh, There is also a slightly reduced fee for students on a master level as organizational skills go uh, networking amongst conservators close collaboration with universities making the profession visible in society and affecting politicians were the main things so here's another professional body that really prioritizes lobbying which i thought was really interesting so here's one here's another one where conservators are trying to actually be a part of policy making on a political level which i thought was really Brilliant. heartening to hear mm-hmm. yeah really good we asked how do you see yourselves in the discipline and they said we see uh, we see ourselves as a society that stands up for the profession and work to become an active and visible part of the cultural heritage society at large which I thought was really nice like the bit about being visible and being seen as a profession advocacy yeah exactly Brilliant. really really nice
1: relevant to what we've just been speaking about yeah, as well
0: They've also got groups, much like ICON does, uh, individual g- speciality groups. They say that one of their challenges is that they're entirely a non-profit organization based on volunteer work. So basically that means that unlike ICON, there aren't like paid members of staff, which means that it's a, it can be a bit challenging to... Uh, get things off the ground because you know everyone does it in their spare time as opposed to paid Mm -hmm. time and that causes more challenges it's something a lot of people can relate to and a lot of uh, places do run their professional organizations just like that so that's a very familiar struggle for many people but yeah thank you so much for sending in your answers after the fact we really appreciate it and yeah big shout out to the danish conservators As always, we welcome your questions, comments, and corrections, so please do get in touch if you have anything to say. Thanks for listening. With the C word, you've been listening to Sarah Buck, Chloe Rumsey, and me, Jenna Mathiason. Join us next time for an episode about exhibition openings and a road trip special. <gasps> <laughs> In the meantime, check out our website at theseawood.show, tweet us at theseawoodpodcast, or simply email us on theseawoodpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring Melody Music, used under a Creative Commons Attribution license. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production.